114 times in the New Testament that the word ecclesia, church, this word translated from the Greek to English church, is used 114 times, 91 times at least, arguably more. It's a reference to a local body of believers. And so you maybe have never thought about that before, but a lot of times people say they're part of a church, they just, it's a kind of a general nebulous, well, I'm part of the church. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm part of the church. I'm, well, are you involved in a local church? Are you plugged in? Because if you're not part of a local church, then you, I mean, you, if you're a believer, you're part of the universal church, yes. But if you're not plugged in a local church, then you're really not experiencing the body of believers, hence the name, the body, Christ is the head, all right, the bride of Christ, all those things. Um, I had a conversation at a local restaurant with a young man, 17 years old, got in a spiritual conversation, and I asked him um, about his spiritual journey, and he said, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm kind of like a non-denominational Christian, is what he said, and I said, well, what, is, what does that mean, a non-denominational Christian? So he, I asked him kind of explore that a little bit more with me, what, what do you, what exactly do you mean by non-denominational Christian? And basically what he meant is I'm a non-church-going uh, Christian I don't really go to church. I've done that some, but people are judgmental, and they, were, they did this, and they did that. And one of the things he said, they told us, you know, if we don't read the Bible, we're going to go to hell. And I'm just like, well, yeah, I, I, probably that would be an error. You know, it's important to read the Bible, but it, not reading it won't necessarily send you to hell necessarily. But, um, you know, not that the truth is in there, yes, but reading it, not reading it doesn't get you to heaven. So, okay, I, I give you, I don't know if that's accurate. Did he really go to church? But anyway, that's one of the excuses for not going to church. So I don't go to church because of this. And, and so he, as he explored and explained his beliefs, um, it be, became clear to me, I don't know that we're even talking about the same thing. And so it became kind of uh, confusing regarding what, what is exactly is a church and what does it mean to be a Christian? So I gave him a little booklet um, called The Story uh, booklet and explains the gospel beautifully going through kind of the big picture of creation fall Jesus sent at, to rescue us and then God's going to restore everything so uh, he's reading this and he gets to the rescue part about Jesus and and he goes hey uh, I, can, I have a question for you can you can you come over here and I was still there in the part of the restaurant so he, I come over and I sit down with him and he's like this says right here that the Bible says that there was there was Bible verses that said before Jesus came that he was going to come and die and live. And he's talking about Bible prophecy. Like, yeah, that's that's true. He's like, dude, that's incredible. It said it predicted he was going to come before. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's in the book. And my point in telling you that is his his IQ of scripture of the Bible is was next to nothing. And yet he confidently says, Yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a non-denominational Christian. And we cut off the conversation. Normally, that's where we would cut off the conversation. Oh, well, he says he's a Christian, we move on. The reality is we're not necessarily talking about the same thing, even though we're saying the same words. Uh, the biggest problem we have, we talk about a church making disciples, what it means to be a Christian, is that we think we're talking about the same thing. But could it be that we're using uh, the same language, but we're working off of different dictionaries? Uh, George Bernard Shaw, he put it this way. He said, the greatest problem with communication, the greatest problem with communication is the illusion that it has been accomplished. The greatest problem with communication is the illusion that it has been accomplished. And I would say that we live in probably one of the worst times in world history for using the same language but meaning completely different things. And so what is the church? We talked about that last week a little bit. And what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to grow in Christ? We're going to talk about a little more in depth next week being a disciple and making disciples, and then the overall, the mission that God has called us 
to um, the big picture. And I'm really excited about the next couple weeks and getting into this stuff. But before we move on, I think it's important for us just to make sure we're all on the same page as a church body with what uh, God has called us to. Let me give you a definition by Mark Dever. He said, the local church is a congregational a congregation gathering of regenerated believers that function as the body of Christ, of which Jesus is the head, displaying the glory and the wisdom of God to his creation. The church is a unique is unique in its message, message, the gospel, and then the marks of that message, which are the ordinance of, of baptism and then the Lord's Supper. And it is the only institution entrusted by God with the message of repentance of sins and belief in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's the, the church is tasked with taking that message literally to the ends of the earth, risking life, risking death. The people that's kind of the first batch of leaders for the first church and the first batch of believers in the early, the um, first century church all but one of them died, martyred for their faith in Christ, for their desire and their commitment to make sure that this gospel got to the ends of the earth. They laid their lives down, literally, to start new churches and to spread the gospel and to make disciples. So this is a big deal. It's a big deal. And are we part of, do we understand its message, the gospel? Are we working off the same dictionary with what that means? And are we um, displaying its marks, which... Baptism, Lord's Supper are part of the two things we've been commanded to do as the body of Christ. We come together to evidence that we are believers. Okay, and so uh, more about that as we move on. But I want to focus this morning on the biblical precedents for making a commitment covenant with other believers and being part of and committed to a local church. Is that biblical? Is that biblical? Because I've had a lot of people say, well, I don't really see it in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it command us to join a church. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to walk an aisle. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to fill out a card. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us. And, and while that's partially true, you are right. That doesn't necessarily say But there are some scriptures that clearly tell us that we're supposed to be part of a local church. Because that's the only option for a church that you can be involved in. The universal one's kind of hard to gather with. Um, where they meet, when they meet, and a lot of things. So... Uh, Getting, committing to one another, there's some precedence in Scripture for this, and, um, and then there's some freedom in Scripture. So we're going to look at the biblical precedence for this, and then we're going to look at, um, we're going to consider the fact that, that God has given us some freedom for how we flesh that out together, okay, and depending on the given context of which we're living. What I mean by that is, if we are in, we'll say, uh, the Middle East or in India, some radical, with, among radical Hindus or radical Muslims, to be a follower of Christ is not a casual thing. To be involved in a local church would be kind of a potential death kind of thing. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, you don't just do it for fun because it's the thing you do. I mean, if you're going to do it, it's like a life or death deal. And so there's smaller gatherings of believers. smaller. So how they flesh out local church and how they commit their, make their commitment to one another. Do they have a role? Do they sign a form? Do they do... Well, I don't think they have to. I mean, when, when they're baptized, that's pretty much a, you know, they're, they're laying their life down. They potentially could lose their life following Christ, turning away from Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever it is to follow Christ. And so in their context, there's no need for anything else to evidence that they are part of this church, right? In our context, we're working off 
nebulous, confusing definitions when we're communicating the same thing but meaning different things. And at some point, we need to come together and go, here's what we mean at Cross Life when we talk about church members, being a follower of Christ, being a believer, and make sure we're all working off the same dictionary. Does that make sense? So give you some thoughts. How do you spot first a church dater? Because we live in a day where uh, commitment phobia is, is huge. Uh, college students in particular, uh, working with college students for years. Uh, and if you put an event on Facebook and there's 100 people invited to it, five of them will say, I'm coming. Yes. <clears throat> Here's your choices. Yes. No. Maybe. Five will say yes. Ten will say no. And the rest of them will say maybe. Okay? They will not commit. Right? Why? Why is what's the problem? And that we're all like that. I mean, it's just like we're so afraid that I want to keep my options open. We don't want to commit. So how do you spot a a uh, church dater? Well, here's some things. First of all, the social life. Social life. This is their attitude towards church is, is me centered. They go to church for social interaction. What kind of programs do they have for me? What kind of activities are there for me? The driving question ultimately is what can the church do for me? Then you have the the independent. I'm not talking about voting here. Okay, the independent. Um, it's not, they're not, you know, the independent is the person that's saying, um, you know, they may be faithful to attend, but they want to, they're going to avoid getting too invested in other people. I mean, they're faithful to be there, but when you start getting personal, kind of like um, the church dater we saw a minute ago, you know, how's your spiritual life? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, he's faithful to show up for the bagels, faithful to show up for the giant dinner biscuit. Um, He's faithful to show up for the hugs. He's faithful to show up at five different churches every morning for whatever the thing is that they offer. But getting involved in other people's life, that's a whole nother nother story. That's the independent. And then we have the savvy consumer, the savvy consumer, always critiquing the savvy consumer, looking for the best product on Sunday, the best bang for the buck, even though it's somebody else's buck because they wouldn't put a buck in the plate to support the, the best bang. But, uh, but nonetheless, they're looking for the best kind of program, the best this, the best that, the best, you know, I want the, so they're the savvy consumer. That's a, that's a church dater. We don't want to be any of those things, but we've all seen it. Maybe we've all been there at some point, which renders the question, well, why is it that people don't commit? And there's some legitimate reasons why people don't want to commit to a local church. Here, here's some of them. Uh, one of them is bad experiences. Bad experience with the church. Many people have been hurt and wounded, sometimes because of their own issues, sometimes because of how they've been treated by other people. Sometimes things just weren't handled right. Well-intending people didn't handle a conflict or a situation or the color of the carpet or the style of music or the what time the service was or whatever the thing was wasn't handled right, and so they got mad and they left. And so bad experiences, um, they were hurt for some reason good or bad, legitimate or illegitimate, nonetheless, they, have, they look back and they go, man, bad experience. I don't want to do that again. Another reason is biblical uh, literacy and ecclesiology, bad biblical literacy uh, and ecclesiology. They, they are biblically illiterate. They just don't really understand the importance of that in Scripture. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. They don't understand why that even matters, what's even important about it. And so they're like my friend I met last week that you know said, I'm a non-denominational Christian, which again, translation, I don't go to church and I don't really, but I'm, but I would consider myself a Christian, even though I don't really know what that means or who Jesus is, or if, you know, anything about him, but I'm trusted in him to get me to heaven, but I don't really know who him is. So, so, you know, they, they're just, they don't really have a high IQ of the Bible. So, uh, the third reason people don't commit is commitment phobia. They have commitment issues. 
commitment issues. It, you know, you, you maybe have heard this with daters. You know, it's, it's not you, it's me. It's me. I, it's, it's really not you. I, I mean, I, the church great. The thing, people are great. Music's great. Preaching's great. Everything's great. It's not you, it's me. I, mean, I, just, mm, I just don't know if I could commit. I just don't know. And so they kind of stay on the fringe. Another one is, is the reason people don't commit is because they don't want accountability. To commit to something means that I am accountable and we like to operate under the don't ask, don't tell policy. You know what I'm saying? We don't want anybody to ask any questions and then we don't have to give any answers and it's better to kind of keep your distance and so we, we, just, uh, we just don't want the accountability. So that's another reason why people don't commit to a local church. And the last one that we can put is, is long lone rangerism. A little created word there. Lone rangerism, radical individualism, right? I'm going to navigate this thing on my own. I don't need anybody to tell me how to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I mean, I, I've got that problem with our three-year-old Caroline right now. She's at that stage where she is clearly, she can do it all by herself. She doesn't need any help. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We don't have time to wait for you to do it. I just need to put your shoes on, okay? Just, just let me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Pick out her clothes, you know, pick out whatever. It's just, she's going to do it herself. You can't do it yourself. I need to help you. Okay. She doesn't want help. She wants to do it herself. We don't want to let anybody else in. I don't need anybody else. I can do it myself. And that's another reason. And there's more that you can add to this. But uh, do these ring true for you? You've seen these? Let me give you a couple other thoughts. Um, this is important flip side of this. What, what are some of the myths about church membership that maybe have created some of this confusion? What are some of the myths about church membership? And there's many, but I'll give you three top ones that I, I think. Uh, number one, being a Christian, I'm sorry, being a church member makes you a Christian. That's a myth of church membership. If you come from a Catholic background, perhaps, or your family members of Catholic background, you part of you, Catholic means, by the way, universal, and you join, you know, when you are baptized as an infant or whatever point into confirmed into the Holy Catholic Church, you become a member of the Holy Catholic Church, and that means that that's your ticket, that's your route to salvation. And if you're excommunicated outside of that, in other words, if your parents got divorced or you got divorced and you got kicked out or if you just didn't, you know, you weren't paying your tithe or you weren't involved or whatever, whatever reason you get booted, okay, now you're outside of the church and therefore you are going to go to hell because you're outside of the church, the Holy Catholic Church, Right. And so uh, the, the, that is carried over into Protestantism for many people. And the assumption is if, I, if I'm not a member of a church, in other words, if my name's not on a roll somewhere, then I might go to hell. But if my name is on the roll, then I'm good. Then I'm good. And so we just make sure that we get on the roll. And then as long as your name's on some church roll, maybe even multiple churches, that's fine. But then you're good. But the reality is being a church member does not guarantee your salvation. And it does not mean that you're going to go to heaven. Does it make you a Christian? Any more than sitting in uh, Chick-fil-A is going to make you a uh, chicken sandwich or chicken. That was funny. You guys are really, I don't know what it is. We just need to take a break. Everybody go get a sip of coffee. Come back in. Get back in the game. Dreary, rainy morning. You're, you're not as lively as normal. All right, so second myth about the church. Signing a church covenant or membership card, or walking an aisle, or filling out a card, or whatever it is, you fill in the blank, um, signing a church, whatever, makes you 
a member, makes me a member. Well, just because you have signed, verbally committed, affirmed, go to a class, whatever, um, and you've, you've done that thing, doesn't necessarily mean you're really a part because membership, partnership, cannot be affirmed apart from active participation in the body of Christ. If you're not ever here, if you're not involved, then you, your name might be on a roll, but how do we really say that you're a part of anything if you're never here, right? And so there's people that might think, hey, I'm part of Cross Life, and if they run into somebody, what church do you go to? I go to Cross Life, or I go to such and such church, or this church, or that church. When's the last time you went? I love this in, in Memphis, when I lived um, in Mississippi, Memphis area. Uh, Bellevue Baptist is a very large church there. Um, Adrian Rogers was a pastor years ago. He's died now. Uh, but uh, they have a membership of like 25,000 people. And at their peak, they're running maybe 13,000. It's around 13,000, but yet they have a membership of 25,000, which means that almost half of the people, where are they at? And so if you run into anybody in Memphis, you're like, do you have a church you go to? It's like almost every other person would be like, oh, yeah, I go to Bellevue Baptist. Like, all right, well, tell me about your pastor. Dr. Rogers is spectacular. Adrian, I love his sermon. You know he died like 10 years ago. Now, the, the problem in their defense is he's on TV and they're still, though he's dead, he still speaks. You know, he's like, he's, he's, he's still on there. So some of them, they didn't get the memo that our pastor's not with us anymore because he's on the television. They're like, man, they're so dated. I don't want to go back to that. It's still the 1980s. Look at the background of that place. Yeah, because those were recorded a long time ago. They're not really, he's not still going at it. All right, so um, he's with the Lord. But nonetheless, uh, the assumption that, man, I've signed this card, I've done this thing, and so therefore I'm there. Well, if you're not involved, then you're not involved. You can't say you're part of something you're not a part of, right? And so uh, that's a problem. Uh, the third myth, and this is, this is an important one for us to consider, <clears throat> only church members can, be, can belong and be cared for. It's not true. It's not true. I, I, I want you to be uh, clear on something. I, I'm not going through this stuff because I, this is some sales pitch. And we're going to have a big commitment thing at the end of this. And we're going to see how many people get. There's really no benefit there. to I, This isn't a, a sales deal here. And our, we're committed to journeying with whoever God brings across our path. And for that matter, going out into the highways and byways to find other people that aren't going to ever come into the doors and help to journey with them as they come to faith in Christ and as they grow in their relationship with Christ. And we just know biblically that's going to happen best if they've put their trust in Christ. They need to be involved in a local body of believers. And if that's cross life, we're going to walk with them in that and try to encourage them to, to be committed to one another because I need them in my life and, and they need me in their life. We need each other in one another's lives. But if somebody says, I will not sign your card, go to your class, do your thing, whatever, um, but, um, but I love Cross Life and I want to be here. Are we going to kick them out? No, I mean, you can be here. It's fine. We love you anyway. We don't, we've never treated anybody different because of they did this or they did that or they signed this or they signed that, whatever. But there's another level of commitment and accountability we have when we commit ourselves to one another. Okay? But that does not mean that only church members can belong and be cared for. That's not true. We want to journey with everyone in their relationship with Christ. So I want you to understand that's the heartbeat behind all of this. But nonetheless, that does not negate the reality that we want to be biblical. And God has given us some scripture that speaks to what we're supposed to be about. So if we're going to be biblical, and if you're going to say, well, I don't agree with that, and I don't think we should have to do that, and I want to, fine, but just understand you're denying Scripture that I'm about to share with you, and so let's just, let's just look to the Word of God to, to inform our definition 
of what a church is and how it functions and whether we should have membership or not have membership and what that means, okay? Everybody agree with that? Okay, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it, and let's, let's look there. So if you have a pen and paper, um, if you don't have enough paper, grab the little info card or something, and we get a little bulletin. And, or if you're just like, wow, you're killing me, I cannot keep up with this, fine. Uh, holler at me, email me. I will be glad to email this to you if you want these uh, notes, fine. I'll be glad to do that too, so just let me know. But nonetheless, turn in your Bibles or write down Matthew 18, verse 17. This is going to be some serious Bible drill going on here. So um, either flip fast or just write it down and I'll read it to you. But precedence in the New Testament for membership. Matthew chapter 18. We went over some of this uh, last couple weeks a little bit, but this is most clear today. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile or tax collector. In the context of church discipline, if, if, if your brother sins, go to him and confront him. If he doesn't repent, then take another brother and confront him. And if he doesn't repent, then take it to the church. Tell it to the church, take it to the church, depending on your translation. And if he doesn't repent, then at that point, just turn him over and say, okay, well, you're like a non-believer now. And we're going to treat you as if you're a non-believer. It doesn't mean we're mean. To, are we to be mean to non-believers? No, absolutely not. But you're either a missionary or a mission field. And so if somebody has open sin in their life, they refuse to deal with their sin, then at some point we're going to say, we don't do them any favors to act like it doesn't matter. Because they're denying Christ with their life. And so we need to be clear with them lovingly, graciously, kindly, before we point the speck out, removing the log of our eye out of our own eye, then we can lovingly deal with the speck in their eye and point out to them the error. But then help them understand, you are as if you're not a believer by the way you're living your life. We love you. You can be around us or you can be whatever. We'll come up with however, whatever appropriate there. But nonetheless, there's a problem. So, But here's the observation for us regarding church membership. The church has a responsibility to maintain holiness among those who are in it. Maintain a personal holiness among those who are in it. Jesus lays out the expectation that there will be, uh, lays out the expectation that there's going to be this group of people that's going to hold each other accountable. In 1 Corinthians, um, to see another example of this, the man caught in immorality that's so bad, they said this is even worse than what we see among the worldly people, and yet you guys are are getting prideful because you are so accepting and loving about people, even in sin, and yet you're not dealing with sin in the body, and that's a problem. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind which is not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. In other words, a man is in open sin, needed to be removed from the fellowship of the church. So Paul is telling them to exclude him from the assembly of believers. And, and so here's the question. How do you exclude someone who's not formally a part of something? How do you put them out of something they're not really a part of? What does that mean? What does that look like? And so uh, moving on, verse 11 says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with 
judging outsiders. It is not, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. In other words, the church congregation, just like Jesus said in Matthew 18, we see again Paul reiterating in 1 Corinthians 5, church congregation was to remove the unrepentant brother from, from them because God judges those outside, but we are to judge those inside before the Lord. What's the observation, the takeaway from this? Well, we are part of something defined and distinct from those outside. We have a responsibility to one another and an expectation to judge sin in one another. Uh, But the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. You might want to read the rest of the context of that statement. Again, it says, if you're going to point out the speck in somebody's eye, deal with the log in your own eye. So that you can point out the speck in their eye. The end of the thing is not to not judge. The end of it is to deal with your own junk first so that you can help somebody else. Because you can't help anybody else when you have a a beam coming out of your eye. Okay, Deal with that. It's an obvious problem. And once you've dealt with that, then you're in a position to humbly, graciously, knowing your need for the gospel in Jesus, go to them and talk to them about their need for the gospel in Jesus. Okay? And so with that heartbeat, we are to judge one another in the church. If there's noticeable sin in my life, come talk to me about it. Don't talk behind my back. Come to me and talk to me about it so that I can repent of that and deal with that. And likewise, same thing with you. We don't do anybody, one another favors when we just like, well, I don't want to judge them. So here's what we do in the church. We don't judge the sin in the body. And yet we sure are opinionated about the sin outside the building. Well, our culture, they do. Well, they're going to do this. Well, they're starting to do. Well, they. God says, I'll deal with the people outside. You deal with the people inside. By the way, Matthew 18, he says, and when you do it, I'll be with you. When two or three are gathered in my name for church discipline, I am with you. That's the context of that, by the way. It's not a Bible study at Starbucks. When two or three are gathered in my name in the context of church discipline, no, I, man, I'm with you on that. I'm not putting you out there by, my, by yourself. I'm with you in that. I'll help you. With that, but nonetheless, judge people inside. I'll deal with the people outside. That's God's word to us. So inside, outside, uh, putting them out of something defined clearly. Move ahead to Second Corinthians chapter two, verse six. For such a one, this punishment. This is the rest of the story of the guy in sexual immorality. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love to him. 2 Corinthians 2, 6. He's, they're saying, look, this guy repented, and now you guys don't want to let it. First, you, were, you wouldn't kick him out. Now you kicked him out, and he's broken, and he wants to come back in, and now you won't let him in. Embrace him. Forgive him. Love him. All right. But here's the key word in that. That's a whole other sermon, that part of it. But here's the key word I want you to underline, highlight, um, note. This punishment by the majority is enough. By the majority. What is that? What is the majority? If I was to say to you guys, um, let's all go to lunch after the service. Do you want to go to, do you want to go eat Mexican or do you want to go eat Chinese? Let us, let's, let's decide. Okay, how many of you guys want to eat Mexican, and, uh, and then, you know, so many people would raise their hand, and then how many of you guys want to eat Chinese, and so many people would raise their hand, and then we would go with the majority, and so to define the majority, it's kind of a vote, and to vote, we have to know who's voting, and so if you're voting on something, 
We're making decisions as a congregation, as a group of people, then we have to know who our group of people is, right? And then we have to vote on that, which sure sounds like organization, doesn't it? But I'm not for institutionalism and organization in the church. Well, I, Paul was, evidently. He talked about a majority, right? And so there's a voting happening there. They caucused together to come up with their de- decision of what they're supposed to do. Um, again, that was hilarious, and you guys don't even laugh. I don't understand this. Um, well, political, if, uh, great. You guys don't get it. All right. So, First Timothy chapter five, verse nine through ten. It's another example of a defined group. Let a widow be enrolled. Keyword: enrolled. If she is not less than sixty years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation of good works, if she has brought up children and shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted has devoted herself to every good work. So you've got a godly woman who's been faithful, who's lived for Jesus, has been great, and, and her husband's passed away, then, then let's put her on the list. Let's enroll her on the list, the widow's list. There's a widow's list. There's a defined group of ladies who we as a church, it is our responsibility to take care of them, and so enroll her in that list. Well, how do you enroll somebody who's not if there's no lists? You with me? There's a list. I don't know if it was digital. I don't know if they put it on Evernote. I don't know if it was in the cloud. I don't know if it was chiseled in the stone. I don't know if they pricked their finger and wrote it on parchment. I don't know how they made the list, but they made a list. Maybe they carved it into a tree. I don't know what they did, but they had a list. Who kept the list? I don't know, but there was a list. There was a defined group of people that were in that, and they, you with me? So again, observation, there's, there's, in, there's a list. Define the group. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 9. Remember your leaders, those who speak to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of faith, of life, and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 7. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. In other words, if you're all about your diet and uh, think that's going to somehow get you to God or keep you away from you, that's not the issue. The issue is that we would come together and that we'd be strengthened by the Word of God, by the grace that comes through the Word of God being taught. But nonetheless, the beginning of that, remember your leaders, those who spoke the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. And then fast forward to verse 17, chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Boy, I, hello, great verse for, uh, you know, pastors. I mean, I, there's, I think I heard recently, I want to say it was 50 to 60 pastors this morning uh, will get up into their pulpits and will read a letter of resignation, they're going to resign, and their church will not have any idea that that's coming. They're thrown in the towel left and right. Why? Because it's miserable sometimes for many guys uh, leading a flock of people that are, you know, don't really give a concern to the fact that they're trying to keep watch over their souls. And they're, trying, and they're just like, I'm done. I'm depleted. I'm, I'm the starving baker. I'm feeding everybody, but I'm not feeding myself. And they finally, they throw in the towel, and they're done. But he's just saying that's not the main point I want to make. The main point is, he says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. How do, I, I'm going to, here's what it's saying. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day, 
And I'm not going to have to give an account for the people that I have shepherded. And so I'd like to know who's in the flock. You know, I mean, I'm going to give account for the people that God has placed under me, under, in my care, in my... So how do I do that? And how do pastors do that if they don't know who's in? I don't want to be giving an account for 25,000 members when we have 13,000 coming. I don't want to give account for 13,000 people. All right? I mean, I, I don't know that I want to give account for anybody, to be frank. I mean, that's, a, that's almost a deal breaker for me. Like, look, I'm barely responsible for myself, much less my family, and you're going to give me more people to be? Concerned. Oh, good night, Lord. I mean, come on. That, that will sink you right there. But my point is, there's a defined group of people, and it's beneficial for them to know if they are, that they are placing themselves under the shepherding of an under-shepherd. Again, Jesus is the head of this church, not me. David Fields, our leadership team, Jesus is the head, okay? We're under-shepherds, but we're also sheep, but we're going to give an account for how we have obeyed the shepherd as under-shepherds and for those that are under us. So the observation is this. The church is to have defined leadership. That's part of the observation. Another observation is the leaders are to display lives that faith can be imitated. Congregation is to willingly submit to them. Because the leaders have a responsibility to watch over their souls of the congregation. They will give an account before the Lord for the flock that they shepherd. So this is why we have a membership process. Not to be exclusive. Say, okay, come to basics, fill out this little deal. We'll sit down with you. And so if we're going to give an account, we'd like to have a conversation first. And we just want to know, how can we minister you? How can we pray for you? Where are you doing? How are you doing? How can I encourage you in your relationship with Christ? I want to be able to do that. Let me do that. Let us do that. Let us come together to help, help you. So we got to have a conversation in the midst of that. So we've tried to establish a process that will make sure that we do that, hold us accountable to be doing that. And the last verse I want to read, there's others, but the last one I want to read to you this morning 1 Corinthians 14, verses 23 through 25. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that they are out of their minds? If all prophesy... And an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of the heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. In other words, what he's saying is somebody walks in the door and there's tongues going on. That's fine. But somebody that's not a believer and far from God and doesn't, that they're going to be a little confused on what's going on and it's not really going to benefit them at all. But if the word is being taught, then they might be convicted by the word of God being taught, the power of the word of God being taught. And when the word is being preached, proclaimed, prophesied, it's being exposed, that will bring them to conviction. And they'll declare that God is really among, really among you, not because of some you know, sensationalism or whatever, but because of the power of the word. Paul speaks of, but here's the key. Here's the key. Paul speaks of several categories. I don't know if you caught that. Insiders, outsiders, uh, not yet believer. He's got these different categories. So here's the, here's the observation. This implies there's insiders who have not yet believed, but they were allowed to be there. It implies there's unbelievers and there's outsiders. So three groups. Here's your three groups in this passage. Insiders slash believers. 
There's insider believers. People that they're, they're part of the church, they're believers. The second group is there's insiders who are not yet believers. So we have insider believers, we have insider not yet believers. And then the third group is then there's outsiders. People that come in, they're completely, they're just, we don't know what their deal, they're just outsiders. And so uh, what does that mean? Well, again, there's defined groups. And so here, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. In our context, where church is such a nebulous, confusing thing, where Christianity has always been a part of the culture of this part of the country, ever since uh, man came over the Appalachian Mountains, um, as far as, you know, westward expansion, right? I mean, I realize Native Americans were here before, but westward expansion. Ever since they came over and started plowing and building and whatever, and Rocky Mountain was built and Tipton Haynes was built and all these little... Historic homes here, right? Ever since that happened, the gospel came with those people, those settlers, all right? And so Christianity has always been a part of this religion, of this region, okay? And that's good, but that's also bad because they've never known a, part, a time apart from that being part of the culture. So it is, it is just part of the culture here. And so if you ask somebody, do you have a church home? Are you involved in church? Do you have a church background? They're going to say yes. Are you a Christian? Yes. They might not be a Christian, probably not a Christian, but they're going to say they're a Christian because they don't know what else to say. I mean, it's like, you, you live in John City? Yes. Are you a Christian? Yes. I mean, it's it just, the two are indicative of one another. It's just, what does that mean? Well, I don't know what it means, but I, I, I know I am. And so it is important for us to not assume these things in, as we contextualize the defined, clear gospel word of God, the truth, as we contextualize it to the given place that God has placed us, we have got to stop assuming we all are talking about the same thing. And we better sit down with some people and have some conversations. It is possible that you are sitting in this room and you have fully believed that you're a Christian and you're not. And you have believed, the, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I walked down an aisle, I filled out a card, I did this, I did that. And I'm not here to make you doubt. I'm not trying to make you question. I'm just telling you it is in your best interest, my best interest, that we would make sure that we help one another as we try to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean earn it. That just means let's not assume things, right? Make sure we understand the gospel. I do absolutely believe in the security of a believer that once you put your faith and trust in Christ, you're secure in that forever. But I'm saying there's a lot of people who think they're believers and they're really not. They never profess their faith in Christ. And I think we've done a horrible job at helping people with that. So contextualizing the gospel in Johnson City, East Tennessee, the Bible, but whatever you want to call it, is that we are going to have to, I believe it is before the Lord, we have to have some kind of a membership that is defined so that we can force the conversations to make sure we're working off the same vocabulary so that we know what our expectations are of one another and of what God's, more importantly, expectations are of us. Here's why you join a church. Join, here's the reasons. First of all, you join for the assurance of your salvation. It helps us being self-deluded and self-deceived. Throughout the Bible, we are repeatedly challenged to examine ourselves and not be deceived. So nowhere in the Bible are we told to look back on a prayer, look back on some decision you made in the past. We're, look, we're told to and asked to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. It's just because we think we started it, if we're not in it now, if we don't, there's not evidence of it, then we need to question whether we ever really started it. 
And so the best way to do that is by being around other believers because it gives us an assurance of our salvation as we see it working out in our lives. Membership in local church is intended as a testimony to our membership in the universal church. Church membership does not save us, but it is a reflection of our salvation. I would like liken to you uh, John 14, 17, and uh, specifically 1 John 3, 16 through 19. talks about this is how we know that we're believers, that we love our brothers in Christ. And how do we know we're believers if we're not loving one another in Christ? So this is how we know that, that we are in the truth and, and reassure our hearts before him is that we love one another, not just in word uh, or talk, but in deed and in truth. Secondly, join for world evangelism. You join the church to join the mission to reach the lost world, taking the gospel to those who have never heard it and making the gospel visible to the world by the lives that we live and the love that we have for one another in the body of Christ. We can do more together. You want to take the gospel to the ends of earth by yourself? Go ahead and do it. But you're, gonna, you're going to flame out really quick. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. You need us. We need each other. We can do more together than we ever can do apart. We need each other to do this. And we, as the body of Christ, the church, are, we are entrusted with a mission. One thing we have, are supposed to do, and that's to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples across the street around the world. And so we, we need to do this together. Join for world evangelism. Uh, thirdly, join to expose falsehoods. Teach the real gospel as opposed to false teachings. Churches are not for the self-righteous. We are a church of sinners only and only sinners who are constantly repenting and believing the gospel and growing in that. But nonetheless, we need to join the church to expose falsehoods. By yourself, you will get caught, get caught in, um, you will deceive yourself into believing things that aren't necessarily true. And likewise, me too. I need to be confronted by other believers to make sure I'm keeping in the faith or I will come up and I will try to interpret the Bible as is best for me and I'll find myself in error and I will deceive myself. I need you, you need me. We need each other to expose falsehoods, false belief in ways that we have not, we're not rightly believing the gospel. And so then number four, join for the edification of others. Rejecting individualism, radical consumerism, living for the mutual edification and encouragement of one another. We need each other. We don't want to, um, again, do not forsake the assemblings of the saints. Don't, don't walk away from gathering with believers. You need to come together, encourage one another. So in Hebrews chapter 10, it's called the lettuce patch verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Within those verses are multiple times, let us draw near. Let us, get it, lettuce patch? Let us, let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly the hope we profess. He who promises faith, let us consider how we can spur one another along Toward love and good deed, let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another all the more until we see the day of approaching. We need each other to join for that. We, we need to join a church, be part of a local church for the mutual edification of one another. And then the last two, I got one there and there's one more that's not up there. Join for the local church for the glory of God. Uh, if you look up Ephesians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 10, it says that through the church, God is displaying the manifold Wisdom of God. In other words, the multifaceted, brilliant, beautiful, amazing wisdom of God to the principalities and the rulers of the air. Do you realize that you being part of a church with people that are different than me and we love one another, we come together not because we're all of some little segment, we're not just one big clique of people, but we just are from so many different diverse backgrounds and from different 
you know, whatever, and we come together because of the gospel and our love for Jesus and our love for the word, and we want to, that fact, we are displaying God's wisdom to the demons and the principalities and the rulers, the angels, and whatever, of the heavenlies, to the cosmos, the cosmic impact of what happens in a local church is more significant than whatever will happen with our country or government, the nations of this world. There's no institution on the earth that compares with the cosmic impact of the church when we're loving one another and sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so God is wanting to glorify himself through us coming together. The last one, I didn't put it on the list right here, but um, this is good. Join to enjoy and evidence the lordship of Jesus in your life. I could put this really under the first one, which is assurance of salvation. If you're a believer, then you have, you have trusted Jesus, not just to be your savior, but to be your Lord. And you have submitted to him as your master. And he tells you to get in a flock and to be accountable to the leadership and don't make it miserable for them because they love you and they're caring for you and they're trying to minister to your souls, okay? And so be a part of in submitting to the lordship of Christ. You can't say you're doing that if you're not part of a local church. You can't say that you have yielded to the lordship of Jesus in your life and that you're enjoying his lordship and you are evidencing it if you're not committed to other believers in some kind of covenantal verbal or written or whatever way that, hey, you're committed to them. That is six of the evidences of reasons for uh, commitment to local church. Here's the final thought. I'm, I'm not, not saying you have to do it our way. I'm not saying you have to do it this way. I say, I, I'm just saying biblically, when we lay down the foundation, it is clear that there's a defined group of people. There's clear that there's some kind of list. There's a clear that they, that they figured out um, that there's some way of identifying that they're with one another. There's clearly a confession that they all believe and things that they hold together um, dearly. And there's clearly a love for one another and a commitment to one another. I need you and you need me. In fact, three realities you need the body of Christ. When you say, I'm not going to be part of a local church, you are cheating yourself because you're giving up a wonderful blessing God has offered you, and that's the body of Christ. Number, number two, you're cheating others because other people need you. And when you're not here and you just don't want to be part of something and you just become inward focused and you're whatever, you're hurting other people. You're hurting other people because one of the arms of the body of Christ is somewhere else and is in bed or whatever and doesn't want to get up today. Fine, but you're hurting. There's people that need you here today. Then you need to encourage them, love them in a conversation after the service or in life group or whatever. They need you, praying for them, encouraging them. So you need the body. The body needs you. And lastly, the world needs us. We cheat ourselves, we cheat one another, and we cheat the world when we are not displaying the love that God has poured out in us as we love one another. And we evidence the gospel of a bunch of changed lives that God is weaving together to display the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and the rulers of the air. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives, that you would take these truths, God, and that you would you'd bring fruit. Father, that we would see um, that this is life-giving uh, to be involved and committed to a group of people cause of Christ to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the most thrilling, wonderful thing we could be a part of with eternal cosmic impact. And so, Father, I pray that you would do work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.